Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Winter's Libertadores podcast. One of the very, very few podcasts in English exclusively dedicated to the grandest competition in South American club football, the Copa Libertadores. And Mr. Oliver Wilson joins me today. He has wiped away the tears following Independiente Del Valle's exit. And Mr. Wilson, we had a good little chat. We chatted uh, We chatted all the games, the last 16, uh, the quarterfinal lineup. There was some cracking trippier in there as well and uh, yeah thoroughly enjoyable my friend yeah, as always there's only one thing more devastating than Independiente Del Valle going out and you'll find out exactly what that is in the podcast with the uh, with your trivia questions and my answer that is almost too perfect to be true and then it's not so um, <laughs> that's that's really cut me up uh, while you, you were just doing that intro I was redoing the maths on the uh, <laughs> on your trivia question and trying to see if maybe you were incorrect but no yeah it was kind of surreal i was incorrect for a brief moment you were totally correct then i was incorrect then we were both incorrect but ultimately yeah it was kind of a weird one another bit of trivia just popped into my head oh. ollie if if, I, if i'm allowed to just go on as, as a tangent it's okay. not it's not okay. a question it's just to throw it up there so tevez won it in 2003 with Boca mm-hmm. and scored in the final right if he wins it with Boca in what will be 2021, is that the biggest gap, do you reckon, between a player winning it with a club? 2003 and 2021, you know? Yeah, I, that's... So 18, 17, 18 years. That, I mean, that is a, that's a gap. That is another one to be firing out. We already had one earlier on in, when we recorded the podcast of, like, we need to fire this out to the Opta guys and see what they can come up with us. This is another one we need to bombard them with on Twitter. of The <laughs> oldest gap, uh, the longest gap of a player winning their last, or between, sorry, two straight Libertadores victories. For the same club. Yeah, for the same club as well, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's it. That... I mean, he hasn't, done, he hasn't done it yet, but, you know, if he were to do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, guess we'll cross, I guess we'll cross that bridge in early January, yeah. late January, when Boca, if Boca get to the final, which we, we also got way too ahead of ourselves at the end of this podcast, <laughs> talking about potential finals and things like that, when we are only I've just got... at the quarterfinals. <laughs> I kind of feel like, you know, if you look long enough, Ollie, on the comments on any YouTube video, you descend to certain topics. And I kind of feel like th- as long as we talk, eventually we'll end up to predicting a Boca River final or a Boca River clash of some sort. It's kind of like if you talk for long enough about South American football, it ultimately always leads to Boca River. I don't see how in November 2021 it can it can be anything apart from a Boca River final, to be honest, at this stage. Next year's tournament, without a doubt, with the route that they're going on right now, it has to be. So, <laughs> Right, folks, enjoy the pod. <laughs> Enrique gets in between the two. Victor Cuesta with a fair challenge. Still might fall for Enrique. Flamengo have the lead. Finish with a plum to put the seal on a fabulous Palmeiras performance. Gustavo Scarpa just helping himself to a goal. Apila takes it down, takes the strike on and fires Boca in front. It's a quite splendid goal from Apila. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner. Double delight for Bruno Enrique on the night for Flamengo. Let's talk Flamengo against Racing, yeah. Um, defending champions out of the Copa Libertadores. Mr. Wilson, you know what I was thinking today? Just before we talk about the actual match where Flamengo, the defending champions, got knocked out of the 
2020 Cobble Invertedoras. I was thinking we were so spoiled in 2019, Ollie, mm. watching that Flamengo side. And I know we haven't been that close to South American football with the exception of last year. So we were largely going off what other people were telling us, right? About how this Flamengo side, this isn't normal. And that Flamengo side in 2019 was so good individually and collectively that it was just, it was, I think it was a real privilege for, for me and you to, to work on that tournament and to see them play. And in some ways, it's a little bit of a shame that in the Libertadores final, they didn't really show up. I guess they gave quite a decent account of themselves against Liverpool in the World Club Cup. But just as a kind of overriding point, before we talk about them getting knocked out of this year's tournament, that consistency, that fluidity, the goals, the players they had in 2019, it will be a long time before we see a side like that again in South American club football. Well, what's kind of baffling is that it's 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 only off four games in the Copa Libertadores that we're basing it off because in the round of uh, 16, they almost went out. Like they were poor yeah. in the first leg against yeah. Emelec and then they wasted opportunities and were almost picked off on home soil by Emelec. So it's really only four games that we got kind of swept up in what Flamengo were with the European style of play and also, of course, what they ended up doing domestically in the comeback in the league and being so impressive there as well. And then, as you say, that they didn't really show up, but yet they were the, their kind of ruthless poaching best, if you will, late on in, in the final. And I think it was just, it was the whole story of kind of the two continents combining, the European flair, the European influences, both of a manager and the players that were brought in, the financial backing that they had as a club to keep hold of players and, and, and have players like Gabby Gold. And then combining that with the kind of homegrown-ish talent of Bruno Enrique and people like that. And it was, yeah, it was a perfect storm of four games of, greatness from Flamengo combined with the fact that they're the biggest club arguably in Brazilian football anyway but it was still like it was such a brief window when you look at it it's not like we're discussing a you know Manchester United or an Arsenal with a tenure of a few years at the top we are talking about a side that had like a window of late 2020 that was South American football arguably at its very best and might not be seen again which is really surreal to think of it in that way. Like they only just got throughout the groups, uh, got through the group stage before Jorge Jesus turned up. Could have been a very different story. Yeah, you're right. In my, in my head, Ollie, I had them playing magnificently throughout the duration of the tournament, but it wasn't, was it? And Jorge Jesus only came in kind of halfway through it, right? Yeah. To turn it round, and as you say, like I'd, I'd forgotten about that two legs against Emelec where they squeezed through but but we did see you know we saw it we did see it in the latter stages of the, of the tournament that the way they destroyed Gremio um yeah it was fantastic and, and listen this Flamengo side this year has been completely different a lot of it's due to the pandemic but also the transition of since George Jesus left they've gone through you know now a couple of managers so uh so, so so, so there's a lot of change there, but, and, but they're out. I mean, it's it's still a shock. They're out of the Libertadores. And just finally, quickly, last year as well, when they were at their best, they played against Brazilian sides in Inter and Gremio. It, it wasn't tests on the continent elsewhere, was it? It was as close to their domestic game as we could get. So maybe we've just... There is a chance we've bought too much into the hysteria around them <laughs> with the money and Jorge Jesus and everything like that. It was still a shock, though, this week. It was still a big shock. It was a shock, and um, 
I want to say a couple of things about about this. First of all, you said last week Gabigol is nothing without Bruno Enrique, right? Uh oh. And I don't think I, no, <laughs> I don't think it goes the other way around. Like Bruno Enrique is nothing without Gabigol, but this was a game where Gabigol was injured, so Vitinho started, and Vitinho missed about three chances that Gabigol would have scored two out of the three, mm. and then Flamengo just eased through. And and those chances that he missed, and Deirasqueta, by the way, I forgot how good he can be. Mm. And Everton Ribeiro and Bruno Enrique, they all played. They were all feeding Vitinho and he just couldn't finish. And ultimately, that that is what's caused Flamengo to go out. I'm not taking anything away from Racing. They've done really well. But um, yeah, no Gabby goal, no, no, no party, basically. One other thing I want to say, Oli, the fact that it goes straight to penalties, I really don't like in the last 16 of the competition. There's no extra time. Mm. And I remember that from last year. And it just seems to me this is the biggest competition in South American club football. You've got to give both sides another half an hour to play. Because in this game, Racing scored and they were heading through. And then William Aral for Flamengo in stoppage time at the end of the 90 minutes pops up and scores a header to make it one apiece on the night, 2-2 on aggregate. And that is a game changer, right, in terms of the mentality. Mm. So if you've got another half an hour of football on top of that, Flamengo would be thinking, wow, we've got away with one there. We've kind of, we've scored at the death. Now, right, we've got half an hour. Let's let's put this racing side to the sword. But it's straight to penalty, so it's a completely different um, sort of mentality shift. I just think it's quite odd. But uh, it's, it's nonetheless, odd. racing, yeah. It's odd at this level, for sure. You know, you wouldn't think of that happening in the Champions League, let alone maybe the Europa League. The... The only thing is, is Rodrigo Caio was off at that point, off before any goals were scored in this game. You just wonder, actually, if it made it a better spectacle for us, the fact that there was no extra time. Because you add another 30 minutes after an intense 90 like that, where Flamengo did kind of go all guns blazing to try and get that goal back and, and level it up. And you just think, would that have then been too much? You know, you have the pause and you always get that lull in extra time, particularly when a side's down to 10 men, because you have that 55 minutes of... Everybody stops. The adrenaline drains out a bit. The legs suddenly start to seize up. Maybe the man advantage would have been actually played into Racing's hands at that point with another half an hour of football to go. Um, I kind of like the idea of going to penalties as well still. I I think you save it maybe for a final or semi-finals. But at this point, I think wow, it's still interesting okay. for... I just want to see more football when it's that time. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's you haven't separated them over you know 180 minutes of football. You just want to see it again. Um, and yeah, listen, Racing have gone through on penalties to the quarterfinals. Uh, incredible, really. Flamengo were and, wasteful. And they were totally wasteful. Vitinho misses so many chances. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what can you say? Gabigol starts that game. He's not, it's a different story. Not an out-and-out centre-forward as well, though, Vitinho. Because I remember sure. last year he had a couple of chances in, early on in the Commonwealth Libertadores, and uh, he, he very much played as a wide man cutting in. Whereas what looked like perhaps a 4-4-2 even alongside Bruno Enrique. It it looked like they it were was. missing a proper centre forward. And I, it's a bit harsh to lay it all at the feet of Itinho. He did miss chances, but also playing out of position perhaps in, in that game. There was a really interesting story that came out in the Brazilian press as well about uh, Lincoln not playing as well in this game because apparently he was being saved in case he picked up a knock because they've just received a big offer from a, a Cyprian side and there's Dinamo Kiev are interested in as well, which a lot of the Flamengo fans are quite disappointed that a player has been saved for a potential transfer, especially when the Flamengo budget, this is getting really, I got really deep into the Brazilian press a little bit today. I like it. Flamengo set their budget out for the year and they budgeted for this club to make the semi-finals of this competition as a minimum wow 
And it's like you. <laughs> That's crazy. Really? Okay. I mean, that is the kiss of death on anything when you're like, well, we'll make the semifinals, so don't worry about it. I just wonder. New manager, new manager, middle of a pandemic. That's absolutely crazy assumption. So overconfidence against a Racing side that, you know, no, none of us were really that confident that Racing could take the game to them. They're the Brazilian giants of South American football at the moment. So I just wonder if perhaps there was a bit of a, a level of casualness. You know, Gabby Gol, his injury, is it one of those ones that he could have perhaps played through, but they wanted to make sure he was ready for later on down the line in this tournament as well? There was a lot of expectation and discussion around it of he will be ready for the quarterfinals if he is absent this week. And it's like, well, don't bank on it. So in that sense, as a football story, I kind of like the fact that Racing have put him out. Uh, yeah. Um, so Racing through to the last day of the competition. Um, and they will play the winner of Inter against Bocanav. Of course, Oli, as we discussed last week, uh, the first leg of that game due to be played last week was postponed after the passing of Diego Maradona. So they played it this week and Boca went there and won by a goal to nil to put them really in pole position to, to qualify for the quarterfinals. Um, Carlos Tevez was the goal scorer. He's 37 years old in February. He, uh, yeah, he's rolling back the years. And, you know, just when you think, oh, that will be Carlos Tevez's last moment in a Boca shirt, that will be his last little little patch. All of a sudden, uh, you never know. And especially, I think, we, we've talked about this before, how Salvio is... He's European quality playing in South America. He's Boca's best player. And then he got they played with Sebastian Vigia, the mm. Colombian, the other side, who's just like electric pace. Okay, he lacks a little bit of finesse, but absolutely electric pace. And you've got those two either side of Carlos Tevez. Doesn't really need to do that much running, to be honest. Can stay within the 18-yard box, and he can still score goals. So, um, yeah, listen, for this Boca side, they've still got a job to do in the, in the second leg, clearly, uh, especially in an empty uh, La Bobonera. But uh, they're really good in a good position to to go through to the quarterfinals and, and take on Racing. Uh, Vizier was excellent coming in from the left hand side and causing problems, cutting in the right boot. Had a number of chances, kind of pulling the trigger after stepping inside and getting it. Uh, everyone will talk about Carlitos as they uh, is, he, is it on the back of his shirt? Is it Carlitos rather than Tevez on the back of the shirt? I can't it remember. It used to be certainly last year, yeah. Um, and. I will say, as as much as people might bemoan Carlos Tevez at points, or be like, he's 37, is he too old or anything? The 270-degree turn completely bamboozles everybody in that international defence in his goal. You know, he does the 180 that you're expecting and then goes that little bit further round to ensure that he can yeah. slide it in at the near post rather than the far post where you're expecting it. Um, Rodrigo Maledo is not able to get across and cover. Marcelo Lomba's completely wrong-footed. I will say, Inter... Went toe to toe with Boca though. Again, they squandered some the post, yeah. some really good chances. Was it uh, Thiago Gallardo who had the header clipped in from the near into yeah. the near post, and it's a free header four yards out that scuffs off the top of his forehead and away, and it's a criminal miss really. Now going to Argentina might be a little bit different for Internacional, depending though if crowd influence is there or not. The only thing then becomes the travel, and I don't think it's too far from Belo Horizonte no. to Buenos Aires, no, no, no. so. They're still very much in this game, even though the away goal yeah. kind of is a bit of a problem. Yeah, I agree. That that tie's still absolutely wide open. Uh, River lost in the final last year. Um, to be honest, after one all in the first leg against Atletico Paranaense, they absolutely battered them in the second leg, Oli. 
Uh, they're playing in Racing's ground because Rivers Grounds having some maintenance done on it, which in Independiente's I mean, ground. Why? And they're sorry, sorry, sorry. They're playing. Don't want to um, get those two confused. I know they're close together, but <laughs> no, no. But I, I was just about to make the point that it's absolutely surreal to me that River are doing work on their ground now, as opposed to like there was a six-month window where no football was played. You would think that maybe they could have done it then. But, you know, who, who knows uh, <laughs> Who knows what's going on there. But uh, it's a shame, though, isn't it? You know, you get to knock out phase of the Libertadores. Fans or no fans, to not play in your own backyard. It's a massive shame. Mm. Nonetheless, River were, River were absolutely superb. I had two points to make from this one, Ollie. The first of all was that last year we saw Marcelo Gachado, the River boss, st- pretty much stick with a 4-4-2. He flirted a little bit with a 3-5-2, but pretty much stuck with a 4-4-2 because I believe... He looked at pretty much every other side on the continent and thought my Riverside can go man for man with them and be better than them, right? Mm-hmm. And this year, we've seen him slip into this 3-5-2, which means that Alvarez, who very, very highly rated youngster, I know Mr. Joel Richards thinks he's absolutely the next big thing, who scored five goals in the um, group stages, can't get in the team at the moment because Gashada's playing this 3-5-2. And it struck me, Ollie, that maybe Gashada's looked at his own side, who have had a lot of their best players stripped away. He's looked at everyone else on the tournament and he's thought, I can't do what I did last year in terms of match up one for one and back my individual players to win those battles. So I've got to be a little bit clever. I'm going to go 3-5-2. I'm not saying that he thought Atletico Paranaense are better than River, but I just think he's got an eye at the whole tournament. And he's thinking if, River's going to, if River are going to win this, it's going to take the players plus my tactics rather than just the players. And I think, I think we had this conversation last week after he played 4-4-2 away from home in Brazil. It was, well, we've seen yeah. him go 4-4-2 a lot. Is it going to take a tweak of the system somehow? on his tactical part to be able to have the edge. And, and we saw that completely get going with the three at the back, which is a very solid back three of Diaz, Rojas and Pinola. Um, and then you've got some really versatile players in that midfield five, which I think is so useful. I mean, Nico De La Cruz keeps on playing like inside left as opposed to his what seemingly more natural position of wide left. Uh, but it, it causes havoc because he and Casco have this wonderful overlapping and actually noticed that at the back end of last year's season in the league as well. In the last few games, there was a game against, um, I think it was Defensor Justicia, uh, where Casco and De La Cruz had that. De La Cruz would go, Casco would kind of slide behind and inside and vice versa, the other way around kind of thing. And, and, and it's kind of similar on the other side. Montiel is a bit more of a natural wide player, I think, than Ignacio Fernandez. So Montiel can kind of do what he wants to on that. Again, it's it's the the chemistry in this Riverside that Gachado has got into them as a team that can play so well together, and it was fully on show against, uh, well, another kind of quite a weak, uh, weaker, brilliant yeah. Brazilian side in Atlético Paranaense. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think the points you make about Casca Montiel are really important because, as we know, if you play that three-five-two, you've really, really got to trust those two wide fullbacks, right, the mm. wing backs. You've got it because if you don't, it, the whole thing doesn't work. They're, their importance is heightened, and for sure, Gachado trusts those two players, Casca and Montiel. So, so it works like that. Also, on Nico de la Cruz, when we arrived in Argentina early 2019, Oli. He'd got loads of bad press. I think he'd kind of, he, he wasn't a fan's favourite. He hadn't really settled, had no consistency. But I think we're a lucky child for Nico De La Cruz because when we arrived since then, he's been fantastic. And he's pretty much, I mean, he took the penalty and scored the rebound. He's pretty much River's most important player. 
he um at this point I would I would say the first River game I got to cover out in Argentina was the kind of the coming out party for Nico de la Cruz on the road yeah. against Internacional against Inter. yeah. yeah and it was like oh oh so this kid that you know I'd been chatting to a couple of people and including Joel Richards and it was like he's not living up to the hype and they're expecting a lot from such a young player. And then he lived up to it. And it was like, oh, okay, here we go. This is the Nico de la Cruz. And then we just became very accustomed to it. And, and we're <laughs> yeah. almost supporting him as an individual throughout last year's tournament as well, I think, to be honest, especially against Sarah Porteño in the first knockout stage. <laughs> yeah. And he's gone from, well, you know, 18 months ago, he was a fringe player in the Riverside. So now he's one of, if not the most important players in the Riverside. And he's a Uruguayan international now. He's a regular fixture in the Uruguay squad. So, yeah, it's been great to see his progress. I mean... You know, for River, Ollie said it last week, they're not as good as they were in 2019. Had key players gone. But my goodness, to have Atletico Paranaense, who are not great in the last 16. And now, which we'll talk about in a, a little bit later, they've got a last eight game against Nacional Take for that. a place in the semi-finals of the tournament. I mean, Jesus, Marcelo Gachada could not have <laughs> hoped for a better route to the last four. In terms of, you know, tweaking what he wants to do. And by the time he plays that semi-final, if they do get through the quarters, then uh, then he's, you know, his side's going to be in really good shape to, to face whoever they do. Just just check the penalty taking on Nico De La Cruz. That's all. Just get get that sorted. Missed the penalty this week. Yeah. Finish the rebound. It hits, it's, he takes the penalty, hits the post, hits the keeper, hits the post, comes back, knocks it in. Yeah, I was surprised to see him take it, to be honest. Yeah. Because I think at that point... Um, I'm not sure if Borre and Suarez were both on the pitch. One of, one of them might have been substituted. But like, there's still, you still got Nacho Fernandez. You're more senior players, bigger goal scorers um, than him. So I was actually really surprised to see him take it. But River are through to the last eight. Marcelo Gachado could <laughs> reach four finals in six years, which would be silly. Um, let's talk about Nacional against IDV. Independiente del Valle, oy, oy, oy. the dark horses, the underdogs, the wonderful success story of South American football for the last five years. Mr. Oliver Wilson, how are you? Are you the dream, okay? The dream dies. I think I sent you and Joel Richards the message just as the penalty ta- uh, penalties were going in, or not, as the case was for the Ecuadorians. <laughs> uh, the dream dies. And it is... I've not seen many injustices over two legs like this and you know what if you can't finish you don't deserve to go through sure but like how many chances just Nacional carved open over two legs I mean Gabriel Torres is going to have nightmares about some of the opportunities he missed there was one in the in Ortiz late on. as well what's that Ortiz yeah had over two legs I still had great chances yeah I mean they miss loads. There's there's one late on uh, where Gabriel Torres jinks between two defenders wonderfully in like stoppage time. You're like, this is it. Finally, finally the goal's coming away from home, wraps it up and he pokes it straight at the keeper. Sergio Roche was, I mean, he did his job at the end of the day. He got in front of everything that he <laughs> needed to. Uh, maybe a few too many were too close to him, but he's the reason why Nacional are going, going through in this time rather than anything they else. Battered, they battered them absolutely battered them and it's what a wild ride mate for independiente del Valle. you know in the group stages they beat flamengo the defending champions five nil mm. absolutely battered them and at that point you're thinking jesus this is just unbelievable of course they won the sudamericana last year they reached the final in 2016 and and it's yeah it's a shame i mean I'm, i like them even as a complete neutral i like them and and, and same for you I know you were wearing your IDV shirt last week on the pod. <laughs> not, not no so much this magic week. tonight. Nah, uh, fair weather. And, no, but, and yeah, I mean, they're out, which is a shame. You you look at 
so last year, even the ride they went on, in the round of 16 in the Commonwealth Ball Sudamericana, Gabriel Torres signs for them. His first touch against Caracas wastes a golden opportunity to take the lead in the first leg away from home. And then after that, it's it's been up and up and up. You know, they knocked out Independiente last year. You shouldn't forget that, you know, the, the kings of South American football historically. So to even win that tournament last year was incredible, as we've said many times. Yeah. To then get to this point where now we're shocked that this side is going out is an incredible achievement for a, for a team that don't play their continental games in their own ground because it's too small. They are not a big <laughs> club at all. They are a, a an Ecuadorian feeder club for the rest of the continent and sometimes every so often the world. And I don't know. It heartbreak for Pejorano missing a penalty. Like, oh, I love him. I love him. The captain, the old boy. I just love the way he walks around the pitch. Just, yeah, uh, that's a real shame. Can't believe him, Mr. Pam. Yeah, you'd put your house on him. Um, and the other Argentinian as well, Shunka. So you blame the two yeah. Argies, really, for, for this side going out. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say the fix is in for, you know, the Argentinian Maradona story, but let's just say the Argies made sure that IDV went out. So, But what can you say, about, what can you say about Nacional over these two legs? Like, we haven't seen... Well, they, were te- they weren't very good. We haven't seen they this team. Like, who, yeah. who are the playmakers? Because we haven't seen them play football in the knockout stages yet. <laughs> no, because, no, well, you can't play football if you don't have the ball. Yeah. And Independiente of I, you know, completely dominated in terms of possession. I mean, I think Nacional are really going to struggle against River, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I wanted to ask you, Oli, the boss, the Independiente of I boss, I, I know you like him. Miguel Angel um, Ramirez. Yeah. Sure. Uh, does he stay? Why would he stay? I mean, first of all, I think it's important to say that the Independiente of I story started before his arrival, right? Mm you know yeah, so he's, he, it's not like he he arrived and and everything ha- you know he hasn't been there for five or six years and he didn't start it it was there before but nonetheless what he's done is great and and he, does he stay and why would he stay i think you'd stay if they were i was impressed with how many players they kept from last year you know they had players like Dahomey go but you know Jon Sanchez is still there albeit he's coming off the bench at the moment uh, Preciado Landazuri uh, still there Segovia still there I mean these are all players that played or were involved this week Gabriel Torres who we bought in still there Pejorano I don't know how many how much he's got left in the legs kind of thing but if if they can keep the bulk of this side there's no reason why he should go because I don't think what he's done at Independiente Del Valle is going to get him potentially a bigger job elsewhere no, I can't. I can't imagine either a European side looking and going, "God, he's done all right there," or anything. And I can't. I would no. I, I, I was thinking more of a. No, I wasn't necessarily saying he'd he'd go to Europe, but I'm saying that he, listen, Flamengo are going through managers at a rapid pace at the moment, right? <laughs> and his side spanked Flamengo five nil in the group stages. I don't think that's an. I don't think that's a ridiculous shout. And now Flamengo are out of the Libertadores. That's not going to make their fans happen. No, uh, Rogério Senni's like a legend of South American club football. But you know, um, I don't think it's I don't think it's ridiculous that he gets it, a Flamengo it, or a Boca job or something like that. It kind of depends if they want to try and go to a European style again, kind of similar to Jorge Jesus. I mean, I think it, if anything, if Miguel Angel Ramirez gets a better job out of this, it will be off the back of what Jorge Jesus did. Of oh, we can have a kind of a cross continental influence. But I'm not sure if maybe people will see it as you had a great young team of players and got them to play well for half a season to win a combo Sudamericana, or if you, if if he, if people will respect what he did as laying the groundwork necessarily. 
But I, I'd be interested to see. I, I would like to see him stay and have one last crack at, at one of these continental tournaments again. But we'll we'll see, I guess. Let's talk about Delphine against Palmeiras, Oli. Um, Palmeiras won the first leg. Uh, 3-1 very comfortably, won the second leg, uh, 5-0, 8-1 on aggregate. Are we a little bit in danger of getting too carried away with Palmeiras in the sense that their group was really poor? Delphine are like a new football club. They've been around for 30 years. They, they, they've got beaten comprehensively, but it's no real disgrace given the context of their, uh, of their very recent history. So, yeah, I mean, Palmeiras, what really impresses me about them is they scored 25 goals in eight Libertadores games, averaging more than three goals a game. They've got goals wherever you look, loads of young talent, but they haven't been tested. Definitely haven't been tested. Uh, but look, it's really easy to say, and I don't necessarily like it when people kind of use this, but you can only beat what's put in front of you. And what has been put in front of them are teams that they have handed, absolutely handed to. Like nobody's really had a sniff <laughs> against them. So yep. in terms of complete dominance, and I think as well, when we're talking about these sides, I mean, we talk about with River all the time, we look at things like chemistry. And there is, without a doubt, there is a set style of football and a chemistry, particularly with the kind of the front five players in this Palmeiras side. Now, maybe defensively, it can they can be exposed. But I think, you know, when you look at, um, I mean, uh, Gabriel Veron, the teenager, came in this, this week and was amazing. But, you know, uh, Willian, uh, Ronnie, we spoke about last week, who was on the bench, Gustavo Scarpa, uh, who was excellent last season as well for them. You know, there he was, yeah. There is there is a style of this Palmeiras side and they play their own style of football and perhaps trying to make other play, other teams adapt to them. They're very easy on the eye. They're very easy to get excited about because of their performances in this tournament. Uh, all you can say is look, some teams might see a club like Delphin, ah, oh, we'll take a 1-0 or 2-0. Palmeiras put their foot on a throat over two legs and unfortunately ch- kind of choked them out. They never had a sniff in either tie, really. Love the second half performance. As you say, uh, you know, it's 3-1 from the first leg. And as soon as Palmeiras scored the first goal, the tie's over. It scored after 29 minutes. But just the fact they scored four goals in the second half, as you say, real clinical, ruthless. We're here to score goals. And, and, and yeah, just, just quite, I mean, Gabriel Veron, teenager, scoring a couple of goals. Gabriel Menino's really talented, really versatile. Uh, Lucas Lima played well, as you mentioned. Gustavo Scarpa, haven't seen that much of him this year, but certainly last year watching him, he's, he's got loads of swagger and ability with the ball at his feet. So. Yeah, they were able to keep Zay Raphael lo- and, and Ronnie on the bench for the majority yeah. of this game. You know, Zay Raphael came on later on, but, you know, these are players that in the bigger games you would expect them to be starting. So even a second string side. And, and I think as well, like, He's only a teenager, sure, but Gabriel Veron, both both goals were taken oh. in impeccable oh. style. Uh, a little bouncing lob over the keeper. and uh, Love the first one. Uh, well, the second one, with the ball going away from him at such a difficult height that he has to kind of leap up and volley it, but he volleys it back across goal perfectly into the bottom corner, so controlled. Scored three goals in the league already this season. It's only his second season playing in the senior t- team of this Palmeiras side. Like, I'm not saying... Like, oh, keep an eye out on him. He's the next Neymar. But like, let's see if this kid lives up to what he started because he started really well, both uh, domestically and from in the uh, knockout stage of the Libertadores. Mate, you're not going to like what I say next after you say let's not compare him to Neymar because like his <laughs> go- his no, but his first goal really reminded me of that goal Messi scored. I can't remember whether it was like it was his second or third goal for Barcelona 
when Ronaldinho just pops the ball over and, and Messi, so many players would lash at it and Messi just like yeah, the half... gives that little parabola over the goalkeeper. Yeah. Just it's so non- it's so nonchalant. And it's a similar goal, isn't it? Like yeah. how easy is it to, to go one side of the keeper? But the ball's bouncing and Gabriel Veron just no pressure, just lifts it over and very casual back of the net. So yeah, certainly one to, to look they're, out for him. They're a team to win the neutral over Palmeiras. They will yeah. they will win goals, a neutral. Goals, goals. With, yeah, goals and style. Classy, real classy, Dave. <laughs> and they will play in the last eight. Uh, Libertad, who came through against Jorge Wilstermann and beat them 5-1 over two legs. I mean, Jorge Wilstermann aren't a great side, Ollie, so so perhaps Libertad could expect that. Um, Libertad never gone beyond the quarterfinals before in their history. So, so this is... I don't want to talk about... I spoke about free hits last week in the competition. Every time I say free hit, I don't like it because how can it be a free hit when you're in the quarterfinals and there's so much at stake? Mm. But by the same token for Libertad, I mean, this is a free hit. There's a a limited weight of expectation around Libertad, I think. I think it's easy to say. I I was impressed, though. Jorge Wilstermann made it a game. Yeah, yeah, no, they did, they did. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm just a sucker for a veteran striker, especially in South America, I don't know. I don't know why. Is it because I just expect the strikers to be veteran? So where they are, it's like confirmation bias. It okay. just confirms what I think South American football is because Oscar Cardoso, 37 years of age. If you follow European football, you might remember him from his time at Benfica, um, but he's still got it, you know. He's, he's 37, still got bags of ability. I remember last week there was a great story about how was it um, Asivar or the, the, there was a teenager that played for uh, Libertad and scored last week. Asivar, Asivar, and uh, he was 16, and Cardoso is 37. Which is, I mean, that is a 21-year age gap, which is absolutely ridiculous. Do you, do you think Cardoso appreciates years. that? I think. It's so unfathomable. Like I looked at it and I was like, I cannot find out if this is a record, because that 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 cannot have happened too many times. A sixteen-year-old, yeah. you know, sure you get a lot of seventeen, eight, maybe not even seventy, but eighteen, nineteen-year-old scoring, mm-hmm. but you don't often get a sixteen-year-old scoring, and you don't often get a um, uh, a thirty-seven-year-old scoring. I was thinking maybe there might be a Milan game, Ollie, this year. You you're more <laughs> a fan with Italian football than I am, but Zlatan's what thirty-nine? Yeah, well, he's old. I don't thirty-eight, thirty-nine. And I don't know if Milan have like a 20... I mean, it wouldn't be as much as 21 years, but if they have like a 19 or 20-year-old... who. But for it to happen that a teenager scores in the same game as the veteran scores in the same game... Yeah. I don't know. Like That that must be pretty rare. It could be the widest age gap, yeah, on in, in world 16 football. 16 and 37. I'd love to... You know, if you're out there, many listeners of the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast, please do... Well, uh, contact us. Let's fire out all of the tweets to that. There's an Opta account for South American football, I think. So we just need to fire the sure. tweets out of, is, is this the biggest... So, so what's the trivia question? What is the biggest age gap between, between two players... Two goal scorers within the same team? Same team, same game. Same team, same game, biggest age gap. Yeah. Write your answers in on a postcard too. <laughs> <laughs> P.O. Box 1475 <laughs> BBC Centre. I, the only thing I could think of is maybe who was the Japanese lad that played till he was like 40 something? Oh, God. Uh, there was like a. Uh, yeah, okay, so there was a Japanese player that played into his 40s. So I, maybe there was. There In was Japanese football? Was, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, no. Um, my J League knowledge is <laughs> slim. Oh, for slim at best. 
<laughs> okay, that's fair. That's a, a pretty fair um fair thing to slide, Ollie. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to do some digging then and, uh, and find out about that one. We'll update you next week. Um, before we... Uh, that wraps up the games that were played this week. No, it doesn't. Ollie. Santos. Of course. And Guarani Gremio. Yeah, Guarani Gremio and Santos. <laughs> My eyes are all looking at the bottom half of the draw. I just, I don't know why. Just, uh, yeah, I'm just sort of fixated on that River Palmera semi-final. Let's let's go um, with Guarani yeah, Gremio and let, let's talk about the shambles that was the ga- the goal that killed off the tie after what three minutes was it the opener for Gremio? Yeah. The yeah yeah correct. Uh, Diego Churin is quite clearly interfering with play when he's five six yards offside when the move starts and they VAR. I uh, was honestly like flabbergasted when I was watching the highlights of that game and that goal is given. Because Turin gets one of those innocuous arms near the kind of chin and goes down on, on the top of the 18-yard box. And Gremio win the ball back, move it out wide to the left. Turin then gets up, continues on. As the ball is played in from the left flank, he's about six yards offside or so. And he's clearly interfering with what the defender and goalkeeper are going to be doing because they don't know if he's going to touch it or not. And eventually he leaves it and it rolls to Ferreira, at the, uh, who's a little bit further towards the far post than him, who tucks it away after three minutes. And it's tie over. And they they, yeah. they view it. And I don't know how you can say he's not interfering. I, I was baffled at the decision-making. Really surprised. Yeah, I mean, it, he's interfering. Like, 100%. Um and yeah, it's a shame because that, that yeah, that's absolutely the the, the the tie over after that. Um, yeah, I mean the damage was done in the, in the in the first leg, obviously, but Rodriguez scored late on for Gremio to make it two 0 Yeah, I mean this, this Gremio side though, Ollie, we talked about it last week with Renato Gaucho having that kind of consistency. Yes, they've lost Everton, but they've got uh, Pepe and Jean Pierre and players like that. I mean, but, you know, it, they're still in with a great shout. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's led by a manager that in the same way as Gachado has dealt with changing squads to an extent, Renato Gaucho is doing the same thing. It's it's still the same Gremio style that we saw last year. Yeah. Um, except that they've now got a better Trecoarista. I still think I'm saying that incorrectly. In Jean-Pierre, who's improved this year, as we said last week. So, you know, the guy that makes the whole thing tick and run together and either distributes it wide or can create now and be more of a threat down the middle is a far improved player from what we saw last year. So they are a Gremio side that will be threatening, for sure. Renato, Renato Gaucho or Renato Portolupi, my goodness, he fancies himself, Ollie. <laughs> like, he really, really fancies himself. And, and it's a great story, by the way, as well. You know, he won it with Gremio as a, as a player and as a manager. He obviously loves the club. Um, more or less yeah, than I mean, Sebastian Becatese. The racing manager. More. More. Okay. Cause, like, yeah, the ponytail. I think more because... I, yeah, no, of course. I, I, I see what you're saying. But um, Renato Gaucho's... His confidence is really deep-rooted. Like, the only... It can only come for when you're so convinced at your... Um, your status within, like, an institution... Yeah. And you know because he was because he because he delivered as a player and delivered as a boss, uh, of course, with Gremio winning it in twenty seventeen. So yeah. yeah, so to have that, I think that body of work, 
and just I, I highly doubt he's ever questioned with much that he does in and around the football club, right? Yeah. And I just think that that swagger for me just comes from a man that is just absolutely at one with his club, and it really, really does uh, does rule the roost. Whereas um, uh, Becca Sessi. Yeah, Becca Sessi. Becca, yeah, I've heard it a few different. Some ways. people said Becca Cheche as well. Yeah, but uh, no, I think his is more like, yeah, sure, he's got a ponytail of that, <laughs> but I think that was, uh, he's he's not as he's more of like a, yeah, you're 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 pointing towards the fashion choices he makes, right? Very much so. There there was, have yeah. been some questionable suits during the group stage, in particular, uh, on the uh, on the sideline. It was the, the, the short trousers and the, the ankles with like uh, yeah. no shoes, wasn't it? Ankles no showing, socks. yeah, with no socks. There was also like a, a wonderful beige number that I think he wore in Venezuela against uh, mm. uh, Merida, against de Merida. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, one to look out for in the uh, in the fashion and perhaps slightly up his, <laughs> up his own personality stakes of the <laughs> Libertadores this year. <laughs> yeah, no, there's going to be, there's certainly some confident figures in the last eight. Um Right, that just about wraps it up, doesn't it? I was, uh, Santos against Liga de Quito. Jesus, why am I so keen to dismiss this top <laughs> quarter of the draw? Really? I said it because I remember last week I said it was like the weakest quarter of the draw and it's kind of a free pass to the, to the semi-finals. And it Liga was de a, Quito Santos, yeah. It was a disappointing second leg, to be honest. I mean, we were impressed by Santos in the first leg and being able to get a result away from home. And then they floundered a fair bit and provided very little in terms of entertainment against the Liga de Quito side that were quite desperate looking and this got really uh weird and patchy after the full-time whistle as well three red cards uh nine well 22 minutes plus of stoppage time i mean it 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 was one perhaps i think for the south american football purists rather than (laughs) the uh, the neutral that wants to be entertained by classic south american football I also think when you look at a South American result, Ollie, and you haven't seen the game, it's always worth, you'll see like loads of red cards and you'll be like, hang on, what's going on there? But it's very rarely like within the 90 minutes, you always see like, you know, two or three red cards. You'll be like, oh, what's going on there? And you'll scroll down, you'll see it's all like 90 plus and it's substitutes have run off the bench and got involved. And it's all just a, a mess basically after the 90 minute mark. Such a feature of South American football where you see so many red cards, but not many of them are within the 90 enough to really influence the game. And yeah, as you say, it was a bit of a mess. It's a shame though, because for Liga de Quito, when Zanino scored, there was still like 20 odd minutes left. And I thought, oh, here's a real, really interesting um, sort of grandstand finale to the contest. And actually he had a great chance right at the death to to put Liga de Quito through. But Mm. uh, he didn't take it. And uh, yeah, Santos, three-time previous champions are through to the last eight. That's all that needs to be said about this round of 16 now. I mean, finishing finishing with the fire of that last one. Is... <laughs> I've got some trivia for you, Wilson. Hit me. Hit me with this. Okay, so there's there's nine teams still left in the Copa Libertadores this year, right? Because obviously the Inter-Boca game still needs to play their second leg. So there's nine teams left in. Only one has never lifted the trophy. Who is it? Libertad. That was the easy one. This is a two-part trivia. So okay. well done, Mr. Wilson. We can maybe insert some applause here. Uh, oh, a, 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 just a big sigh of relief, to be honest. Be nice. <laughs> well, okay. <sighs> that was like the free. That was like the the one that if you get that, you pass. This one's more in free hit territory. Nine teams left in the Libertadores. Mm-hmm. How many t- how many titles have those sides won between them? And I tell you what, 
Yeah, I'm going to let you think about it and, and yeah, I'm going to let you think about it. Nothing like 20, 30 seconds of dead air on a podcast. I'm going to say 22. Holy shit! Have I got it? <laughs> he nails it. What? <laughs> Did you work that out in your head quickly? I was running through it and I was like, okay, so that National will be one. Let, let me, I've had a couple. Sure. Grammy, I've had a few. A couple. Uh, <laughs> nah, okay, Bokka's so five let, So let, I was kind of like <laughs> Estimating roughly Rassing have got one So it was like I got to about 19 I was like no I've definitely undercounted So it will be at least A few more than that So yeah That was 22 Let me make sure I've got this right Gremio have Wait let's go from the bottom Sorry Palmeiras have won it once In 1999 One Libertad never won it Nacional have won it Three times But not since uh, 1988 That's four River have won it Four times Eight Racing have won it once, nine. Bok- uh, Inter have won it twice, 11. Boca have won it six times, 17. Santos have won it three times, 20. And Gremio have won it twice. 22. Yeah, and that makes it 22. If I've got that right about Gremio, they won it 2017. And that's a, that is absolutely, you've nailed that, wasn't it? <laughs> Let me just confirm this, though. Um, sorry, mate. Performances by club, Gremio, titles, three. No. They, oh, no. Are you serious? Yeah. Gremio, three. Santos, three. <laughs> River, four. Boca, six. I got the rest of them right, though. But oh. Gremio have won it three to Gremio, three. Santos, three. Yeah, Boca, six. River four, and I, I thought three. it was Gremio two as well. I really that was oh. Ray, Racing ay, once, Libertad zero. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, mate. Oh <laughs> no. Yeah, so twenty twenty three. So that was kind of trivia where I didn't know the answer myself, but still. And hey, I tell you what, twenty two, mate. That's that's pretty. Um, I'll take that. Look, I will take that as a solid guess. <laughs> that's that's very very handy. I think uh, predictions. Um. Okay, uh, let's start with River Plate Nacional. Windsor, do you know how many times they've met in the Libertadores before? Ooh. River Nacional. Mm-hmm. Two big, famous heavyweights of the South American club game. Must have had plenty of meetings in the 70s and 80s. How many times have they met before? Seven? Four. Mm. And the first time they met was 2005. I think that's... Okay. This is that's harder trivia. This is tough. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> the last the last time they met though, starting for River, was a a man who sits in their dugout right now, Marcelo Gachado played Mr. in both Gachado. both of the meetings in two thousand and nine in the group stage. Uh, River lost three nil in Uruguay in the group stage in two thousand and nine. Uh, Nacional actually won the group that year and River finished third and, and went out of the competition early. When they met in 05, River won both ties one nil and three one. River topped the group and Nacional were bottom. And they played a friendly at the start of this year as well. They play an annual uh friendly, the clubs from Arge, um, Buenos Aires and from Montevideo. Just across season. the water, yeah. Yeah. So uh which River lost three nil. Uh three one, sorry, in Uruguay. Is this um is this a tie that where River don't just squeak through and do enough and play three five two? Ollie? is this a tie where Gashada says, "Come on, we're we're better individually, we're better collectively. Let's go and score a lot of goals." They never really do that, though, do they? 
I'm trying to think of like a, a a game with River in last year and this year's tournament where I've been like, wow, they have just handed some. I mean, they've they've handed them in terms of controlling a game and running the show, but in terms of like what we've seen from Palmeiras, for instance, we I don't often associate that with Gachado and and the way I've seen them play in the Apart last eighteen months. When we were in the in the ground at Racing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that was very easy to re- forget the score because the Racing fans were as loud after the seventh goal from River went in <laughs> as they were when they scored their own goal. So it was very, very weird being in an sure, Argentine no, football I, ground. I, I know what you, I know what you mean, and that was kind of a one-off because Racing thought, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll play a ridiculously high line against River, and yeah, I, River. The, the thing is, they're not unattractive to watch, but it's very controlled, isn't it? Mm. It's like pretty, but very controlled. Um, I mean, you you, I, you can't back against River here. That they're surely going to go through. Yeah. Libertad Palmeiras, again. I mean, how, how can you possibly back against? I know Palmeiras haven't been tested, but you, you can't back against them. First meeting since the group stages in 2013. Uh, just uh, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> did, I did some research. It's the only meeting when they met in the group stage. So again, it's uh, okay. teams that don't know each other too well. Uh, Libertad yeah, yeah, strug- yeah. have got a history of struggling in Brazil. Anyway, I uh, had a quick look through, and it's not a good record. Uh, between these two, uh, sorry, between um, Libertad and their trips to Brazil, although they did beat Grêmio in the group stage last year, albeit Grêmio was so slow to start in that group stage. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I I only see Palmeiras. It's got to be the big green giant going through. Oh, and a river Palmeiras semi. Tasty. That'd be, yeah, that'd be a fun one to watch. Two so contrasting styles as well, if that comes through. Mm. How disappointing, like, and no discredit to either side, but how disappointing would Nacional v Libertad be? It would be an exciting story of like kind of teams you're not expecting for sure. But at the same time, you kind of want it to be a, you know. Yeah, I think, listen, I think because, um, I think because Libertad have never got beyond the quarterfinals and uh, Nacional just have great history in the competition. I just think that that would be quite interesting. And also I'm always kind of secretly rooting for the non and Brazilian sides, mm. but uh, to- I totally take your point, Oli. And uh, yeah, I mean, everything's shaping up for a river Palmeiras. What about the, the top half of the draw? Uh, Gremio Santos is going to be tight. If you look at their overall records, 16 wins for Gremio, 16 wins for Santos, 13 draws. Sixth and seventh in the Brazilian table, Gremio and Santos, respectively. Uh, sorry, other way around, even uh, Gremio seventh, Santos the sixth. Um, first meeting since 07 in the Copa Libertadores semi finals, which Gremio won and went to the final and lost to Boca Juniors. Um, yeah, it, this is going to be close, I think, because in the same way we saw, you know, Flamengo was so dominant against Inter and Gremio last year because they were so dominant domestically. These two teams are so close domestically, I can't see it not being the case it could be kind of similar to the Gremio Inter games that we saw you know teams that know each other very well both play an excellent game of football and hopefully there isn't the melee and mess of two great rivals and instead we get to just see a really good game of two decent Brazilian sides playing football against each other Gremio are far better on the eye Santos so might be able to grind something out it's a coin flip Mm. and then yeah, and the winner of that contest will face the winner of Racing against either Boca or Inter. As you say, like that, the second leg of the the Inter Boca game is is uh, back in Buenos Aires, but it's, it's certainly very much still on the table. And the potential then of a of a Boca Racing quarter, which which is fascinating, mm. you know, Buenos Aires derby. Yeah, that would be a really fun one. I mean, it would be one of those ones. I think there are a lot of 
games coming up that you'll really regret the fact that fans can't be in grounds. You know, Gremio Santos will be would have been an amazing game if you could have you know a packed capacity crowd. Racing Boca in the same way. Um, you know, if we if we then get a a Gremio Boca semi final again, you know, two very effervescent fan bases love to show out the flair. Palmeiras against River could be uh, equally as explosive in terms of the the choreography and the color of those two sides. And look, getting way too ahead of ourselves, but I think we've touched on it on a <laughs> on a WhatsApp conversation or, or two. Is he going to say it? If Is he going to say it? If it's a Boca River <laughs> Is he final, say it? <laughs> can you can it's you imagine? Bomber. Can you imagine in the Maracan R a Boca River final with no fans? How how much of a loss that is to world football for a one game only final in arguably the most historic ground in South America with the arguably the greatest rivalry in world football with no fans. It it would genuinely be quite upsetting, I think. Yes. But it would also, well, I mean, we're getting crazy out of us. But it would also take a lot of problems away. It would be, it'd be surreal as well. It'd be very. It surreal. would be surreal. But I mean, like, the authorities, Ollie. Yeah, it would be. You know. Oh, do I you mean, think? Listen, like, do you think this would stop Boca and River fans travelling to Rio? The, uh, the borders are open, Windsor. That would be. They are. They are indeed. I. I we'll I, fight them on the beaches. Talk. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just think. A Boca River final with fans at the Maracanã, with everyone travelling from the Buenos Aires airport. You know, scuffles in the airport, scuffles on the mm. plane, scuffle. Uh, yeah, dread to think. So, uh, we're a long way off that, but uh, but who knows? Yeah, man. Have you? So, when's the Inter Inter Boca is next week when the first leg of the quarterfinals take place? Because all the quarterfinals are next week, and then the second leg of the quarterfinals will be the Boca or Inter against Racing first leg, and then the week after that will be. The second leg, so there'll be a standalone quarterfinal. There'll be a standalone second leg of the quarterfinal, mm. and it will be about three three days before Christmas Day. If you take Christmas Day as the twenty fifth of December, so yeah, that's the only wow. spot in the calendar that they could feasibly play it. Wow, um, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and and as we said last week, I mean that is you're talking late December is peak RG summer you know 30 30 degrees at 7 p.m kind of thing so it's gonna be warm uh i mean bocker are gonna get there first but yeah it's uh yeah it's certainly interesting Big thanks for listening to the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. Remember, you can follow us on Anchor.fm, which is our host, and Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio app, and all other good podcasting outlets as well. Follow David Windsor on at David T. Windsor on Twitter. That's at David T. Windsor. Myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. We'll be back in around about seven days' time uh, with a look back at the first legs from the final eight of the Copa Libertadores 2020. Until then, enjoy the football.